With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, welcome. Welcome to TNT, today's news talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday. We got two hours of action-packed news and analysis, radio, and also live analysis coming to you down the pipeline. We're going to be joined by a couple of our experts, some of our friends uh, who are going to weigh in on some of the important issues of the day. In the first hour, we're going to be joined by Basil Valentine, host of Compass with Basil Valentine here on TNT. And also in the second hour, our great friend and financial pundit, Blake Lovewell, is going to join us. We're going to delve into the global affairs, the global economy, the Middle East. How does this all fit together? We're going to try to piece that all together today. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Great to see you guys with us as well. Now, let's just kick things off uh, with a couple of salient points which are coming through the global news headlines. Um, We'll give you updates on the situation in Gaza as it breaks uh, in just a few minutes. We're just getting our updates uh, from Reuters, uh, AP, and AFP. So we'll read through the news releases on there to give you sort of up-to-the-minute headlines on what's happening, what's breaking uh, over on that front. But what's interesting is how the public mood has shifted over the weekend. Now, you'd have to be living under a rock, which granted many people are and do enjoy living under rocks, uh, to to not not see the fact that the uh, record-breaking numbers on the streets supporting uh, the people of Palestine and not supporting Israel, uh, unfortunately, has left a lot of governments in the lurch. And some leaderships around the country, around the G7, NATO, et cetera, the United States, um, they've thrown their lot in very early uh, with the Netanyahu government, uh, basically said, we'll back you whatever you do. Um, Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know that whatever you do would include ethnic cleansing and genocide. So uh, it's not looking good for a lot of governments. A lot of heat's coming, a lot of blowback, a lot of elections are coming up as well. Record-breaking numbers in the UK over the weekend. The numbers on the streets rivaling that of, believe it or not, the legendary uh, anti-Iraq war protests uh, in early 2020. 03, the numbers rivaling that for a single issue uh, that's not necessarily even involving the United States at war. We're talking about Israel and Palestine. So what does that mean? It means that the state's kind of lashing back, a lot of talk of censorship, uh, arresting people, uh, classing any support for Palestine or classing any uh, opposition to the war crimes being carried out by the Netanyahu government, by the IOF, the Israeli Occupation Forces, classing those as somehow being, I don't know, anti-Semitic or hateful. Imagine that, calling for an end to genocide, calling for a ceasefire as being hateful. But this is the strange world that we live in. The good news is, is that a lot of this sorcery, this media sorcery and propaganda is actually wearing off. And people are coming to their senses. You can see they're mobilizing in their millions Uh, on the street. Now, is that going to materially change things on the ground there? Um, Maybe, maybe not in the short term. There has been, and we can sort of announce this, uh, we'll see if it holds, but there has been an announcement that there will be a temporary 
ceasefire. We're told, according to most major outlets, that this would include uh, some kind of a five-day pause, and it would involve uh, hostage swaps. So Israel and Hamas are close to a hostage deal that could result in the release of most of the Israeli women and children captured by the Palestinian armed groups since the start of the conflict. The Washington Post reported, citing senior Israeli officials. So according to this report, the agreement, which was announced uh, recently, may involve the release of Israeli prisoners and groups in exchange for a simultaneously freeing of Palestinian women and children held in Israeli jails for years, some of them held indefinitely without charge. A lot of people aren't aware that Israel uh, routinely uh, kidnaps children, you could say arresting them, detaining them. Some people, well, if this, if this was leg legally speaking anyway, if this was in the UK, if this was in Australia, if it was in the US or Canada, it would be classed as kidnapping to uh, snatch a 12 or 13-year-old child off the street, throw them in detention without any charge indefinitely, and in some cases don't even inform their family. That would be considered kidnapping, but Israel calls it uh, detention or administrative detention. So anyway, they're going to swap and hopefully release the children from the Israeli jails. Uh, in total, there are uh, up to 6,000 Palestinians held in these uh, special military prisons, uh, which are dotted around Israel. And many of them, including one particular, one case held for 45 years, why? Uh, we're not sure. There's people held for years and years without any actual charge. So that's not exactly justice. That's why the Palestinian resistance took the hostages to begin with so that they could negotiate the release of all these thousands of Palestinians held. And that's a part of the story that's not given any airtime, unfortunately, in the West. They're meant to think, well, this evil terrorist group just nabbed some Israeli civilians uh, just to be mean and torture them and terrorize them. No, actually, this has been going on for 75 years. So if this is news to you, well, what can I say? Uh, we're, we're just reporting the facts, as painful and uncomfortable as they, they may be. So uh, one of those offers uh, by Hamas, uh, this is the Palestinian um, resistance factions, you could say more broadly, the government, you could say more broadly of Gaza anyway, uh, they've offered uh, Israel the release of 50 to 70 women and children uh, in exchange for a five-day truce, the spokesman for the Al-Qassam Brigades, that is the uh, military wing of Hamas, ostensibly, and the proposal will also include the release of 75 Palestinian women, 200 children from Israeli prisons. So um, the question is, is, are both sides going to adhere to such an agreement? This is the big question. And again, this is a big question mark hanging over this. And the other question is, will both sides adhere to a ceasefire? Because we've seen this before. And uh, often when there's a ceasefire, one side will break the ceasefire and then blame the other side for provoking them. And then the deal's off. So what will happen here? Is this in Israel's interest? Well, I don't, not particularly, not particularly. Israel's not so interested in the hostages. Um, they seem to have another agenda, which is basically the flattening of 
northern Gaza, this area that once held 1.1 million people is nearly empty now. Um, tens, well, tens of thousands have been injured and maimed, uh, uh, up to 12,000 killed, many thousand missing. Uh, so they seem to have an, a, a program to carry that out, that operation, to empty Gaza, and then the forced deportation of its residents, pushing them further south. So as they're not finished with this invasion of Gaza, the Israeli ground forces, um, I can't see how they would want to have a ceasefire. Um, it's not in there. They would have called for it already, basically. Um, so they're kind of being f potentially forced to make a deal here. Possibly the United States and other parties are in the background urging Israel to try to, you know, have an excuse to have a ceasefire because, let's face it, the public optics are just not that great for Israel. The reputation is plummeting internationally as they're able to get away with war crimes. Remember when uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the commissioner of the EU, uh, back when she said, if Russia cuts off the electricity to any Ukrainian residential areas, either intentionally or due to some attack on a power station, she said, that's a war crime. That's an act of savagery. And it must be met with uh, reciprocal sanctions and punishment of the whole of the Russian country as a result. You remember that? Not a word about what Israel's done, cutting off the electricity, food, the water, the communications, and then bombing all the hospitals as they're filling up with people who are victims of Israeli bombing residential areas. Not a word of condemnation from Ursula von der Leyen. So this double standard is just not going to hold. And this double standard actually threatens the integrity and it threatens the reputations of Western governments, you see. It's not the misinformation online or the disinformation online or the pro what they're calling pro-Hamas rhetoric online. No, no, no. That's not what's damaging the credibility and the reputations of Western governments. It's the hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy of their leadership. Let's take a break and we'll connect Basil Valentine on the other side. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk. Stay right there. You should hear what James Freeman is talking about on the Freeman Report. Last night, I came across a letter from the NHS chief executive here in Wales in the UK. Um, I got given the letter by a whistleblower and it's addressed to the chief executives of all NHS Wales organisations. So that's quite a few people. That, that letter has gone out to quite a lot of people here, senior people here in Wales. And the letter basically says that it is disappointing that the uptake of the COVID-19 injections is so low among healthcare workers, but also the general public more widely. The letter goes on to say that vaccination is the best form of defence. Now, the author is Judith Paget, who, like I said, is the NHS Wales Chief Executive. Well, Judith goes on to say that she's looking forward to hearing about interventions that have been used to raise uptake at the next NHS Wales Leadership Board meeting. Well, that sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? Um, what interventions are you talking about judith the freeman report and james freeman on today's news talk radio tnt chief division council and doj have approved a no-knock breach we want the subject to be on display 
Doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. The only real prison is fear. And the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Great to have you with us uh, for this two-hour broadcast. We're still in the first hour. As we spoke uh, opening up, we were kind of giving you an update on the developments in the Middle East. Certainly, these are serious developments, potentially anyway. If they come to fruition, this is the big question. Are they going to come to fruition? Is there going to be a five-day truce, a ceasefire uh, between the Israeli occupation forces and the Palestinian resistance factions in Gaza? Um, are they going to allow humanitarian aid in? Uh, is this going to hold? And if so, how for how long? Uh, and will Israel simply commence bombing after the five days will even make it to the five days these are all the big questions that are looming right now in the air and we're trying to get answers to these at least to find out what is the nature of the situation right now the situation on the ground for palestinians however is dire you've already seen the forced deportation of tens of thousands of residents of gaza who were forced to march 30 40 kilometers um, to the south at some points uh, under gunpoint by the Israeli occupation forces. They had to have their hands up and wave white flags to say they were, weren't were going to get shot. They were actually attacked in some places. This was not shown in the Western media, but of course we've seen it in the Arabic media and Al Jazeera and other uh, networks have covered the truth of what happened there. But uh, by anyone's measure, by any measure of international law, that indeed is ethnic cleansing. So there's no two ways about that. And you, they're trying to basically you know, tart this up uh, and sort of explain this away with edited video clips and things like that. But that's exactly what we're witnessing here. So all we can say, ladies and gentlemen, is that it couldn't come too soon. Uh, any ceasefire should have really happened four and a half a month, four and a half weeks a month ago. Uh, to to save the sort of lives and uh, avoid the carnage which we've all sadly ha been forced to to witness right now. Let's get a little more insight on this, however, uh, with our friend and cohort, the host of Compass with Basil Valentine, Mr. B himself on the line. Basil, how are you? Very well, thank you, Patrick. Good to be with you. And uh, hello to our listeners all around the world. 
So what do you make of this latest announcement? I mean, this is what everybody's talking about overnight, Basil. This uh, talk of a ceasefire or a truce seems like Israel has been dragged begrudgingly into this position. It just does not seem like it's something that they're in- interested in, um, If only if maybe to you know, diffuse the PR debacle that they're experiencing internationally and maybe to rearm because uh, they're probably running out of bombs. But I mean, I might sound cynical here, but I think with good reason, your thoughts on this, uh, Basil? Well, you know what they say, Patrick, talk is cheap. And at the moment, that's all it is. It's just talk. Uh, there's supposed to be um, a pause in the murderous bombing campaign for a few hours again during the day so that the ethnic cleansing can take place. So you simply press the pause button on one uh, international humanitarian war crime and uh, you play the other one. So we pause the genocide so that we can play ethnic cleansing. Do you follow? It's a toggle switch. Mm. So we're, we're, we're going to stop sort of killing you en masse so that we can ethnically cleanse you. And then we're going to carry on with the genocide for those that haven't followed our instructions. Uh, it really is as dark as it gets. But as you say, um, public opinion the world over has never been more united, more incensed, more angry uh, about the actions of a rogue state, which Israel is now. Um, and also, of course, in the West, but also in Arab states as well, tremendous dissatisfaction uh, turning to real anger with political elites who simply do not represent the will of the people um, and continue to provide cover, effectively continue to run cover for this massacre unfolding in real time. So what do you think about the political uh, situation in the UK? This is you're you're on the UK shores right now Basil. So there's a little bit of a problem with how this has been constructed. There's been a massive cabinet reshuffle. I I I have to think Basil this has something to do with the awful handling of this, the bad optics and what many are calling some of the racist rhetoric coming out of the conservative government over this and and meanwhile they're trying to basically uh, police speech and assembly in the most authoritarian way that really is even worse than what we saw in some cases uh, during COVID uh, with all well, of that yes. farago. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you, a lot of the policing of speech, I'm pleased to say, has gone out of the window in the last couple of weeks because uh, Israel is committing genocide and war crimes. Uh, so therefore, you know, things like the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which as an example of singling out Israel for criticism as somehow being anti-Semitic, that's in the bin forever. That's obviously complete nonsense. Of course, if a country is committing genocide, you single it out for condemnation. Um, yes, the reshuffle, uh, the controversial Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, whose husband has family in the Israeli army, uh, and who characterized people demanding an end to the massacre and mutilation of children as hate marchers, she was sacked on Monday. I mean, um, there were the most ridiculous scenes in London at the weekend with a tiny mob 
of in, former English Defence League thugs um, sort of scuffling with police around the cenotaph, uh, led by the coward and uh, very possibly intelligence asset Stephen Laxley Yenon, who calls himself Tommy Robinson in order to sound more quintessentially English. Mm. Um, uh, and he scarpered, of course. He, he got in a taxi very soon after these scuffles. I mean, they were they were they were a nothing. The organizers of the um veterans parade, because in addition to the cenotaph on the Sunday nearest to the eleventh of the eleventh, which is when the war criminals like Blair and Sunak get to deposit their wreaths without a trace of irony um, at the foot of the cenotaph. The day before, or on the 11th itself, which this year fell on a Saturday, there's also uh, a service uh, by the Western Front Association, uh, because the origins of remembrance in the United Kingdom go back to the First World War and the wholesale slaughter that we saw then. So the these uh, idiots uh, who are, I don't know if they've got any, well, I mean, they're, they're really sort of football fan, skinhead type thugs. I don't really think they've got any idea of the geopolitical uh, complexities of the situation or the fact that they are being used by the Israelis who regard them as scum. You know, they're just, they're just sort of shock troops, but they don't have any common cause with them these people uh, were motivated the remnants of the english defense league by islamophobia uh, and this speaks to part of a wider campaign by the likes of robinson braverman who's now been sick sacked and particularly people like douglas murray to characterize the conflict in palestine the massacre as somehow um the, the West versus Islam. This is the latest mm -hmm. manifestation of the 25-year battle between the civilized forces. Bibi's been trying to do this as well, you know, between mm -hmm. the civilized forces of the West, of democracy, we're like you, we're Israel, da, 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 and we're battling jihadis. And if we don't battle them here, they'll be on your streets and nonsense like this. Uh, whereas, in fact, as we know, the whole Gaza-Palestine question is about land, is about sovereignty, is about human rights, uh, is about a hundred years of history and, you know, all sorts of other uh, issues. Uh, and uh, it's a deliberate mischaracterization to say that it's uh, Muslims versus the West or something. Um, so Braverman was sacked on Monday. A lot of people expected that because she was perceived quite rightly too as having whipped up this uh islamophobic sentiment um the march of the best part of a million people passed off uh peacefully there were speeches families very large jewish block on the march uh you know well worth pointing that out because of course the other uh lie that's propagated about the protesters is that they want to uh uh, kill all Jewish people or some other nonsense like that. Um, so in her place has come James Cleverly, the ill-named former foreign secretary. He moves to the Home Office, which is traditionally a political graveyard. And the shock of the move of the whole reshuffle 
was that David Cameron, now Lord Cameron, who sits in the House of Lords, has become Britain's foreign secretary. <laughs> wow. So just quickly explain that. By the way, uh, well, Theresa May managed to go from Home Secretary to the Premiership. So, so yes. some, pe some people have climbed out of that yeah. grave in the past. But how on earth is David Cameron able to hold that portfolio as Foreign Secretary without being a member of Parliament? Explain the, the, the ins well, and outs of British democracy. Go ahead. He's a member of Parliament, but he's a member of the House of Lords rather right. than the House of Commons. Uh, it was very common in the 19th century for peers to hold senior cabinet offices up to and including prime minister. Lots of prime ministers in the 19th century were peers. Uh, and it was only sort of early in the 20th century that it became the regular thing for the prime minister to be a member of the House of Commons, which is directly elected by the people. Uh, Cameron was ennobled, of course, because traditionally... Former prime ministers, if they want, can become a member of the House of Lords. It doesn't make a huge amount of difference in practical terms, except for the fact that members of the House of Commons can't question him directly because he can't come in the House of Commons. So while opposition peers, opposition lords, can ask him questions about Britain's foreign policy, our elective representatives cannot. That may not, although that sort of obviously makes a mockery of democracy, it, nevertheless, in practical terms, it may actually be better because there are probably more intelligent and wiser heads in the House of Lords to put Cameron on the spot and ask him what Britain is doing than um, there are in the in the House of Commons, where, of course, Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer's shadow cabinet is 40 percent of them have received funding directly from Israel lobbyists like Sir Trevor Chin. So at least 40% of Starmer's shadow cabinet are bought and paid for Zionists. The rest are all Zionists as well. We don't know whether they've received any money or not. In terms of the mood music from Downing Street, this is perceived as uh, a slight move away from the pariah state of Israel back in Oh, and it was 2015, I think, um, Cameron described Gaza as a prison camp, which for any, as you know, which for any UK minister to do, although it's inaccurate because prison camp implies the people in there have done something wrong. Concentration camp is a much better metaphor. But anyway, Agreed. A, lot people have been, a lot of people have been saying prison camp and it would be, it, that's quite a sort of outlandish thing for a, UK government minister to say. So the fact that Cameron has gone in there as foreign secretary to say that, I mean, cleverly was completely out of his depth uh, in the foreign office. And I think Cameron, because of his experience as prime minister, of course, when he dealt at head of state level, Sudak in this particularly challenging time has decided he wants somebody with a bit more experience and a bit more nous to represent can, can I, can... on the world stage. Can I interject? Um, what do you think? This move for putting David Cameron in, it, like you said, it takes 
that particular key position during this really controversial conflict that Britain's actually a co-belligerent in. They're they're supplying arms and uh, giving military assistance to the Israelis as they're committing genocide in Gaza. Very controversial for Britain. It does it take them out of the public firing line by nesting them into the House of Lords. It almost separates this whole debacle and kind of contains it for at least for the moment. Uh, whereas he was not going to be able to, he's not going to have to answer direct questions in the comments, which we can, we could argue is, is a potentially a more hostile chamber in terms of debate than the Lords. What are your thoughts on, yes. on that? Yes. The, theoretically, the commons certainly should be, the commons certainly should be, but you know, the Labour Party has become so supine, that, you know, there's barely a cigarette paper between the vast majority of the Labour Party and, uh, governments on you know in terms of their positions on the current crisis there are people in the snp the scottish national party um who are openly calling for a ceasefire and a tiny handful of of labor mps including john mcdonnell jeremy corbyn himself of course uh, zara sultana one or two others but um yeah it is also of course means cameron is now supposed to appear in front of the television cameras and do the rounds of the studios and face questioning there and he's got to try and explain britain's policy on the whole situation um and get up to speed very very quickly but uh as i say just in terms of the nuances this is a very very slight softening of britain's position remember sunak disgracefully went to tel aviv in the days after october the 7th and uh said to um the big the butcher the pound shop antichrist netanyahu <laughs> the dollar store <laughs> the dollar store devil and any other uh, the dollar store devil. haven't heard that one yet that's, that's <laughs> um, about it right said we, we hope you win we want you to win you know um so well, i don't quite know what winning looks like blowing the legs off four-year-olds i suppose that's winning in Sunak's eyes. So, um, you know, Britain is in a very, very bad place. And as far as I'm concerned, the likes of Sunak are every bit as culpable as Joe Biden, Lloyd Austin and Tony Blinken, all of whom have been indicted in a legal case for complicity with genocide. I don't know if you saw that a filing in New York, Patrick, by the constitutional center for justice uh something like that um they filed suit it may not get anywhere it probably won't i certainly hope we see similar lawsuits in the united kingdom which although because uh, you know tony blair others were never brought to justice after the iraq war etc we can't necessarily hope for justice in those cases although we should uh, nevertheless it's a tremendous stain on their reputations you know, it's, this stain is now with Biden, with Lloyd Austin, with Blinken for the rest of their miserable careers, whether or not a process is enacted that sees them ever stand trial, let alone be, you know, be convicted of war crimes. Nevertheless, they've been accused and um, that, you know, that that'll be their legacy and it should be Sunak's legacy as well. Yeah, well, his legacy in his eyes is the, the the deal inked by British Petroleum BP and the Israeli government to extract a 
fossil fuels, hydrocarbons from the the gas fields off the coast of Gaza. That maybe yes. Sunak sees that as his legacy, or maybe the the deal Very between possibly. Infosys, Infosys, uh, his his wife's father's company, uh, this uh, right. Indian media moguls, data moguls, IT moguls, and their deals with the likes of BP and these sort of corporations. You can see this kind of web spinning uh, in terms of international finance and the people who are benefiting from this, or at least it gives them a little additional incentive to kind of keep the ball rolling, to keep the money flowing in a certain direction, to back Israel, uh, because that, in their eyes anyway, it benefits the UK financially, um, or it benefits maybe members of government directly as well. There just seems to be a lot more of this cor corruption done openly these days. When you look at the recipients, of course, COVID, yes. Matt Hancock, and all of that kind of you know, laid that all bare for the public of actually how uh, corrupt uh, government ministers can be in times of crisis, in terms of getting deals that uh, seem to blow in their favor. So that's one thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to go to break in a minute, but uh, you mentioned Douglas Murray before and all of these sort of conservative <laughs> influencers. Now, a lot of people aren't aware Douglas Murray is not just a media cultural pundit. He's a, he's a member of the Henry Jackson Society, which in terms of think tanks uh, in the West is probably one of the big uh, progenitors, if you will, of injecting Islamophobic narratives into media and uh, lobbying politics and so forth, very much aligned with Israel, but also very anti-Arab, anti-Islamic. Um, so he's part of that think tank, that group, which has an illustrious uh, alumni. <laughs> Let's just say there's some people that have graduated from Henry Jackson to move on to uh, bigger and better things within the deep state structure. But you see these people, Ben Shapiro, Douglas Murray, all these self-styled conservatives. But what they're doing right now, what they're advocating for is anything but conservative, Basil. Since when does conservatism include genocide and ethnic cleansing i i just don't see it and getting ensconced in overseas wars uh being pulled down with the likes of the netanyahu regime uh internationally in terms of your reputation as a government looking at the uk the us and all these other parties to the conflict how is that conservative but uh just two minutes your response to that well first of all you know conservatism in the united states was hijacked by the zionist neocons in the 1990s you know and subsequently we had uh you know bill crystal project from a new american century uh you know the war on islam that faked by the 9 11 events so it's nothing new really it's uh it's a continuation of that uh islamophobic interventionist warmongering thesis you know uh and, and and this is simply another iteration of it of course none of those people had any place in public life after the iraq war um they should have all had their hung their heads in disgrace in terms of the money it's very interesting what's happening because i've noticed americans are starting to look at the funding of their own congress i don't know if you saw that clip of Aaron Marte confronting <laughs> Senator Chris Coons on a train. Yep. Really, really interesting footing. And um, I think it's Loki has posted today on X that Coons has received more than a quarter of a million dollars from APAC. Who knew? Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, what a stroke yeah, of luck by Aaron, huh? What a stroke of luck to be sitting opposite opposite uh, Senator Coons. Amazing. On an Amtrak. 
of course, who of course has Joe Biden's old seat. You know, mm-hmm. these are supposed to be the great liberals, the great East Coast liberals of America, all bought and paid for. There's a word to describe them. It begins with W. So, um, uh, I've noticed other social media influencers starting to dig around um, as to exactly where these congressional members are getting their funds from. There's a new thing called Project Olive Tree, I think. Notice mm-hmm. it started by two women and uh, they identified the senators who disgracefully voted to censure Rashida Tlaib last week as all having received money from Israel lobby groups. So, uh, you know, two months ago, you couldn't talk about the Israel lobby funding senators and uh, members of the House of Representatives without being called an anti-Semite. This was the, absolutely par for the course. This was perfectly normal. Israel's our greatest ally. You know, if you point out the fact that these people may have loyalties that lie elsewhere because they've received huge sums of money, um, you were, you know, accused of all sorts of, uh, you know, called all sorts of rude names. All that's changed. All that's changed. People are starting to notice that the United States government has been bought by Zionism uh, and that it not only does no favours to the American people, but as we said when we came in, makes the United States complicit in these war crimes. I think the biggest criticism is it means that it seems like our governments don't have independent foreign policy. Seems like That's their right. decisions it's being driven from uh, from outside uh, by by foreign yes. powers and what they call you know mem- they rail against foreign influence, foreign meddling, foreign influence, all this sort of rhetoric around Russia, this hyperbolic uh, evidence free rhetoric. And here you have the best example in history of foreign meddling, of foreign influence, of complete capture. Of of your whole, you know, Middle Eastern foreign policy portfolio and maybe beyond by a very small minority, but very wealthy, powerful interest group. It's you can't find a better example of this in history. I'm here with Basil Valentine, host of Compass with Basil Valentine. We're delving deep into the issues surrounding the Middle East, but also how it affects domestic politics. We'll continue this conversation on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT. Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Children, children, settle down. No more Trump chants. We really, really want to hear from these candidates on the stage, and they worked really hard for us tonight. Children, settle down. Last night's third Republican debacle proved, in large part by the performance of Vivek Ramaswamy, just how irrelevant these so-called Republican debates are. Vivek took the GOP and the moderators hard into the corner before boarding them. He called out Ronna McDaniel for her consistent track record of failure and offered to give her his time so that she could come to the stage and resign. And then he said to the moderators that they should be replaced by Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Elon Musk. But his best line of the night was saying, if you want to elect Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, we've got two on stage tonight, referring to Nikki Haley and Ron disappoints us. Nicely played, Vivek. I see what you did there. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio.
There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're still in hour number one of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT. Today's News Talk, and on the line right now, we're discussing the Middle Eastern geopolitical outlay, plus how this is shaping domestic politics in the West. And certainly when you're looking at a country like the UK, uh, it sent the cabinet topsy-turvy. It looks like damage control. Now, why would they do such a radical reshuffle at such a critical time? Because somebody is not doing their job properly or optics are looking really bad. I'm sure the poll numbers are not favorable in the, for this government, for the Sunak uh, government. So are they going to survive uh, as a party? Well, the Tories have this knack of survival, Basil. They they can survive Armageddon. They will always, in fact, that that is their number one quintessential characteristic isn't it throughout history is their knack to survive even the worst debacles in fact they even somehow get stronger the worst job they do uh or isn't that just the nature of uh well i could use the f word starts with an f and ends with a m or a t what do you think basil <laughs> uh yeah i mean sunak is doing extremely badly in the polls and if there was a general election tomorrow um I think it uh, pains me to say so. I think a Starmer-led Labour government would be elected in spite of the fact that Starmer has cut the party membership in half. Ironically, of course, he has expelled dozens and dozens of Jewish members of the Labour Party for anti-Semitism. How do you work that one out? Well, obviously, they're the wrong kind of Jewish people because they are anti-Zionist Jews. So you have the bizarre situation in Starmer's Labour Party where you have Gentiles expelling Jews for being anti-Semitic. <laughs> okay, I, I'm confused already, Basil. <laughs> it's just hard to get your head around this one, but that's normal but, bill I mean, of fare, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a really, really, really deep dissatisfaction in Britain with what we're being offered politically. I hope that perhaps the peace and justice movement, which is a nice catchy little title, um, which was started by Jeremy Corbyn after he was booted out of the Labour Party leadership, uh, might stand some candidates. People are desperate for an alternative. The vast majority of people want to see a ceasefire. They don't feel represented in Parliament. Uh, and yet the two-party duopoly, uh, you know, continue to support this these, you know, daily massacres. I mean, the, you know, the, the thing is that um, you know, in the immediate aftermath of October the 7th, a case could be made for uh, Israel's retaliation. Of course, now we've learned a lot more about October the 7th since. We've learned that possibly the majority of the Israeli civilians that were killed were killed by Israeli forces, not by us, not but not by Hamas. Um, and... Uh, 
also there were no beheaded babies. I mean, there was a Tory MP, Michael Fabricant, who posted only today that, uh, you know, Hamas beheaded babies. I mean, MPs have no business tweeting things out. But go on, would you know? Which is that, which is that been... the same? Is Michael Fabricant the one that wears? Is, does he wear a wig? It looks like it, but it is. I do believe it is actually his own hair. It's his hair. Okay, just checking. So, so it's a funny looking guy. But, but, exactly but anyway a case sort of could be made you know and then we had two weeks ago the big hoo-ha over who bombed the baptist hospital and all that well you know we've now got israeli snipers shooting nurses and patients through the windows of a hospital you know we've got hospitals surrounded by tanks with fuel electricity and water cut off uh, I've seen pictures from the streets of Gaza. There are corpses lying among the rubble. It is as hellish a scene as you could possibly imagine. Um, and yet, the official UK government position hasn't changed. You know, so as I say, while a case could be made, although I wouldn't agree with it, that in the immediate aftermath of October the 7th, uh, Israel had the right to defend itself. We're now seeing war crimes and atrocities on an hour-to-hour -hour basis, which no Western government, which claims to sort of believe in human rights or anything like that, can possibly defend. But we're not seeing politicians in Western democracies modify their position and say, oh, well, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself, but... You know, I mean, very, very vague statements um, from, uh, you know, on, on the talk shows and things from uh, ministers and saying, you know, Israel must abide by international law. You know, I mean, so pathetic as to be um, best ignored, really. But elsewhere in the international community, of course, uh, people are talking a very different language. The South African foreign minister uh made a particularly fiery speech yesterday saying that uh arrest warrants should be issued for netanyahu and israel must be sanctioned and all the rest of it now you know this is a commonwealth country BRICS country we're starting to see what's supposed to be the international community speaking with one voice break up and break up quite quickly on this issue no absolutely absolutely well um the other the other issue that uh britain is knee deep in um as well uh, is still the issue of ukraine and while this situation in gaza in the middle east has managed to push that onto the back burner uh the uk still have heavy commitments financial military they have forces they have military uh, involved in this on different levels of support for the Ukrainians. Meanwhile, uh, Ukraine's admitted they're not making any progress at all, haven't made any progress in recent months. So in the United States, Basil, they're saying that, well, we need to be prepared to, to fight a three-front war. Now, when the U.S. says that, they also mean their allies have to come along for the ride. So the, the situation in Ukraine, as bad as it looks right now, um, the money is clearly drying up. Um, so, you know, there's there's going to be a political price to pay. The EU is pressing forward. Brussels is pressing forward with more sanctions against Russia. But Germany is basically saying this isn't working for us. There's a lot of pressure in Germany 
basically to abandon this one and get towards some common sense policies because they can't afford to arm Ukraine. Olaf Scholz is saying he wants to have talks with Vladimir Putin. So if this happens in, in the EU, Basel, politically, then you get this separation of, you know, you have the individual, imagine that, Basel, what a revolutionary concept, individual state, sovereign state actors within the EU actually determining their own destiny in terms of uh, foreign policy, international trade. Will this be allowed in Brussels? And the UK becomes a, a real outlier when that happens. What are your thoughts on on that dynamic in general? Well, I'm glad that the UK is no longer in the European Union for all its faults. At least we're no longer <coughs> anything to do with that dreadful von der Leyen woman parading around the world like some sort of empress. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. She's been one of those most closely attached to Zelensky. In fact, she invariably dresses up as a Ukrainian flag to go to Kiev in bright blue and yellow clothes. I don't know if you've noticed that. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, the EU has really painted itself into a corner with both Ukraine and Israel. It's put itself in a completely unwinnable position. It's got policies that the vast majority of its citizens fundamentally disagree with. It has weakened its own economy by supporting Ukraine. Let's remember the Nord Stream pipeline debacle, which uh, Jonathan Cook, the journalist, posted about this week, just reminding us that uh, Europe was plunged into an energy crisis by a combination of Ukrainian and almost certainly United States actors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, supposedly these are our allies and yet they sabotaged germany's energy supply absolutely extraordinary stuff so we can hope for what i would like to see is the breakup of the european union um and, and the reassertion of national sovereignty and and national policies and people go oh that's nationalism no it's internationalism internationalism is where separate sovereign states have bilateral relations trilateral relations whatever and agree policies based on that what we've had with the european union increasingly is an oligarchy uh you know the eu nato bloc it becoming increasingly entwined in fact they're talking about von der leyen as the next secretary general of nato when uh, her term as European Commissioner finishes. So, you know, these institutions are very well financed, very well established. They have, uh, you know, all the trappings of power and all the rest of it. But the simple fact is that they've completely lost the confidence of the people they claim to represent. And I hope it's only a matter of time, therefore, before political arrangements are changed such that uh ruling individuals bodies organizations do start to represent the people they claim to uh so you know we, what we really need and i'm going to put this key word in front of the r word is a political revolution we need a political revolution in europe in the united states and in the United Kingdom, because the existing arrangements 
with things like, uh, you know, money from the military industrial complex, whether it's your Raytheon and Lockheed Martin or whatever buying politicians, or whether it's the Israel lobby buying politicians, or whether it's big pharma buying politicians, um, you know, or whether it's the World Economic Forum, <clears throat> unelected, undemocratic, making policy decisions. All this has got to change. <clears throat> we need the most fundamental upheaval in our political arrangements in the West since the fall of the aristocracies in the 18th and 19th centuries. Mm, that's significant. That's saying something. That is saying something. We Would you we agree, a, Patrick? I, I, I think, yeah, I think we're absolutely well overdue for some major realignment. I just don't see how this is going to avoid uh, instability uh, in the process. But, you know, it's possible. It's possible. It could be a velvet revolution, Basil, but, you know, it could be a velvet glove uh, punching against that velvet revolution. Who knows? Yes. But we had a we had a good conversation yesterday with a Scottish uh, writer who penned a piece for 21st Century Wire, uh, Niall McRae, Neil McRae. And uh, he oh, said yes. that uh, the, 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 the rules-based international order has died in Gaza has died in right. Gaza. It's been yes. exposed as a total farce. So at least what you're saying yes. on an international scale, Basil, is true, that there, there, this is going to happen internationally. What you're uh, talking about domestically, that's the tricky part. That's the difficult. Yes. How does that happen? Yes. That's, the, that's the big question mark, Basil. Well, in some countries where they have proportional representation, new parties can start up and so long as they you know have access to media and things can gain footholds in parliament and take it from there that's happened in spain and and it happened in greece i mean the you know varoufakis thing in greece was a bit of a flash in the pan but it can happen it's m much less likely to happen in the united states or the united kingdom both of which have first passed the post systems of one sort or another you know Yep. If you get more votes than the other guy in your congressional district, you win. So the, the stranglehold that the establishment has on politics in the UK and, and US particularly makes it very, very difficult to do anything about it. So we have to hope for some sort of more, I don't know, some sort of more fundamental change. It's, I, I agree, it's hard to see where it's coming from at the moment. But yeah, in terms of the international order, um, the South African minister, foreign minister said yesterday that, you know, things like the ICC need to be much more than just where powerful countries get to flex their muscles. We have to be able to hold powerful countries to account or it's all meaningless. True, true. That's the that's the uh, the big problem that no one's been able to solve in the last few decades. Anyway, Basil Valentine, we appreciate your insights, your commentary this week. Thank you for joining us this week on the Patrick Henningsen Show. Thank you, Patrick. And do uh, watch Basil and listen to Basil Compass with Basil Valentine Monday to Friday, 12 p.m. UK time. That's your news digest. So be there. Well, top of the hour news headlines are coming up. So stay with us on the other side. We've got a whole lot more to cover and Blake Lovewell, too. Stay tuned.